and welcome to another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation. Mike Cation joined today again by Noah Rubin. And this gives us an opportunity here to talk about how this podcast will be changing over the next several weeks and months. Um, we're very happy to have Noah be a, a major part of this podcast. And as you might have heard last week when Noah and I did our interview, we both have had this common vision of just kind of exploring the idea, as Noah has very well put it, behind the racket, giving you a look into kind of the behind the scenes of how many of these players are dealing with some struggles that you might have not have heard of. We've tried on this podcast to explore that as much as possible. Noah has obviously been able to take it to another level. And Noah, welcome to the podcast officially as, as a host, I guess. Congratulations. No, thank you for having me. I don't know if I forced my way on or this was a, uh, <laughs> a mutually beneficial thing, but I'm excited to be here and see where this all goes. Yeah, I mean, this is something obviously you and I have been talking about for, for quite some time. Um, it's just been very interesting to see how much uh, movement has been kind of heading in the same direction. Obviously, with what you've done on the behind the racket side, um, it, it really seems like there's just this like little push now to see more exposure and more money for players 100 plus. I think a lot of players are now kind of joining together, whether it's through social media and other platforms, and they're seeing that it's not this lonely place to speak out anymore. And now it's giving everybody an option to just be a part of it. It's, it's really exciting, and this is where things truly evolve. It's always also really tough, and you and I talked about this last week because I think you know that you want your tennis to be successful, but obviously this is is taking up such a great part of your time right now. Um, but it must be reassuring for you uh, in terms of the you know behind the racket side to see so many other players, as you mentioned, using their voice for the first time. And I, I have to imagine that gives you just a sense of relief and allows you to focus on that and your tennis just a little bit more as well. Yes, it proves that I'm not alone. It shows that other people have the vision I do. And honestly, it makes my job a little bit easier. If other people have this understanding, we can kind of, you know, join hands. And that's, you know, that's when a voice really does something. Before we get into the meat of this episode of the Coffee Cast, um, just to kind of give you an idea of how we're going to break these things down from week to week. The idea is to make this a 30-minute podcast each week. Five minutes of kind of catching up and, and maybe talking about the week past. We're going to do a 20-minute segment where we really delve into one of the major issues of the week. This week, we're going to be talking a lot about revenue as it's been the hot-button topic in tennis for the week. And then just a couple minutes to wrap up and also talk about where Noah's going to be playing next week, where I'm going to be broadcasting or else just sitting with my cat, as I'm doing right now. Uh, one of those two options. That's pretty much all I do in my life. Um, but where are you right now? Um, so people can, you know, we haven't seen you on the grass this week. And I think everybody kind of expects a former Wimbledon junior slam, uh, slam champion to be on the grass right before Wimbledon. Yeah, no, I'm actually home right now. Um, you know, this was kind of my two month break where I was going to see where I want to go with my tennis. Obviously we spoke about this. I talked to other people about certain realizations I had and how to make, um, me happier in this world. And right now, uh, training home, getting ready and, and going out to the grass right before Wimbledon, which I did do to win the junior Wimbledon championship. I was there only a day and a half before the first round of qualifying. So who knows? Maybe know that's, that. wow. yes, maybe that's a lucky charm. Will you be playing one tournament beforehand or no? I will not. I will be leaving okay. a day and uh, two days before, and that's about it. And then you got competing. any grass up there in, in Long Island? 
We do, but it's it's so tricky to find the grass that's so similar to Wimbledon. You know, it's changed. It's not it's not what it used to be. It's not Forest Hills anymore. So right. But uh, no, I mean it's almost better to hit on hard court than anything else. You know, in, in Champaign, uh, where I don't live anymore, they have an AstroTurf course, uh, like one court that is AstroTurf. And it's terrifying, and it's so slick, and there's no bounce, <laughs> and it's not really tennis, but there's a net. My high school that I went to for a year, my public high school, they just made – they turned their five courts into five, like, turf courts, and, I, and it was insane. My friend's like, I think they have grass courts. I was like, there's no way. And I, <laughs> and I went by it, and they have five – of those like paddle tennis courts basically, but they're yeah. tennis courts with the sand in them and everything. Insane. I actually might train there to be honest. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's the way to go. Well, um, money has been such a hot button topic uh, in tennis this last week and Vashik Pospisil has been kind of spearheading the push. Um, as, as many people know, he's been a guy who's been quite active over the last couple of years in terms of, of giving a voice to players who are maybe outside of the top 50 and beyond. Um, and, and it's been interesting to kind of watch him develop this in more of a public setting, hasn't it, Noah? Yeah, no, I mean, truly incredible. And I think you need somebody who's been at the top, who's won, you know, he's slam champions. I mean, this is this is somebody who you want to speak out of, who you want to have by your side to see that there are issues in the sport. It's exciting to see him also finally hitting a tennis ball again. I know, but, it's been but, so long. Yeah, I think six months, seven months, something yeah, like that. Yeah, about so. that, yeah. Well, one of the points of emphasis for him this week, um, it was percentage of revenue given back to athletes, as well as talking about what the average player makes. And this is a tweet he actually released a little while ago this morning. We're recording this on a Friday morning. Uh, player ranked 600 made $14,000. Player ranked 500 18,000 player ranked 400 in the world made 36,500 and he says a player ranked 300 made $77,000 in 2018 that's before taxes and expenses and when you and I were talking before the show today we both thought that that number uh, specifically the 300 number seemed really high at 77,000 right yeah, definitely a little high. I mean, you know, I know from my own experience and I know I've actually recently spoken to a, a few people around 250 to 300 in the world and I'm getting numbers closer to 40 to 55, 60 grand. I mean, I really I mean, he must have found something else or somebody who played higher tournaments, which is possible, but I think most of, you know, the players around that ranking point are definitely in the $50,000 range where if you think about that, somebody who's 275 in the world of what they do and we're talking about true expenses for a year, I mean, and taxes, you're in debt. I mean, you're losing money, real money. Yeah, so let's just for for giggles here, yes. say $76,658 for somebody ranked 300 in the world is Great. an accurate number because that might include if you if you made one slam main draw then that that's a realistic possibility to be around seventy seven thousand dollars. I think that's I think that's probably where that's coming from, right? It's possible, so, yes. So you were able to kind of analyze. I know you keep a business credit card where you try to keep all of your expenses for the year. Um, kind of break down a little bit some of your expenses, um, and and you're obviously much higher ranked than three hundred and have been for the last couple of years. Take us through your expenses um, on a week to week or a year to year basis. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll preface this with saying I don't think the expenses change drastically. It's almost more the income, which is even 
more sad because they're having the same expenses, but I'm just making even a little more money. Um, with that being said, you know, kind of going through my credit card statements and year end summaries. I mean, I'm looking, let's start with just airlines Mm -hmm. and I try to end this, you know, I'll preface again with saying I try to stick with one airline. So that may, you know, add maybe let's say a thousand dollars or so to the total, but I put into American airlines $22,000 last year. Okay. So this is. All the flights that I could possibly take American Airlines on, I charged on my credit card $22,000. I mean, that is, you know, that is not including all the other small flights I took, you know, the the jumper planes and, and other ones where I just couldn't physically take American. Yeah. Um, how, how often are you able to really, um, you know, I, I've always been told like a month out is when you're able to be- uh, book the best flights in terms of cost. How often do you do that? Um, I think we're at a point where, yes, there are times where if you book it in advance, especially international travel, you get a better deal. And I try with some of the bigger trips, I try about a month, month and a half out. Again, not easy to schedule. And two, with a lot of the issues the airlines are having with oil and fuel and stuff like that, these prices have exponentially increased and I'm not finding this drastic price change whether really early in advance or really late in advance it seems like a lot of these numbers are sticking the same that's yeah. where i'm finding and it's been really sad and and again exponentially increased in the past couple of years and i think actually yesterday i was reading that uh most airlines including american just raised all of their uh flights by five to ten dollars per flight um, there we go it keeps happening yeah um, okay so uh, again we're going to just try to break this down roughly but that's twenty two thousand dollars on american airlines alone. so yeah and then add let's say another three grand for other flights throughout the okay. year so that's we're at 25k yes um you had for a good chunk of the year, and I'm trying to remember timing-wise, Did was was Carlos your coach for the entirety of the year? So I kind of started with him later throughout the year. Okay. Um, you know, I would rather go over some of the quicker, like I have, let's say I have five grand on Avis. Okay. And I know that, you know, a rental car is not always a must but right. th- but this is you know this is something that for freedom and to get out and honestly at times was a must because I was going through like the California trips where I yeah, needed right. a car from tournament to tournament. Um, so I had about you know let's okay so five grand maybe is high for most people let's say three grand for Avis. Okay, so that puts us at a total of twenty eight thousand dollars just for mm-hmm. travel uh, and then the rental cars as well. Uh, housing last year, I, I know here in the States, it's pretty good in terms of finding housing. And, and obviously it's changed at the challenger level, especially here right. in 2019, obviously. But last year, what was your, did you have ex- any housing expenses or was that pretty limited? No, that was, that was, again, that was probably around two, $3,000 that, you know, when it rains and storms, like there are times where I'm just not paying at all. But then yeah. the times that I do pay, it seems like I am paying, you know, that buck fifty at night, and it really comes out to a, a real number. Or, you know, I'm in between tournaments and I have to stay somewhere. So it's a, again, you know, I'm fortunate to be in the U.S. where there is housing and they'll allow me to stay for as, you know, however long I want. But that's that's the number for the most part. Okay, so 
that the the thing that makes it rather interesting to me though is that that housing number is going to be small for you it's going to be small now for challenger level players but for mm-hmm. some of the guys who are 400 500 600 now playing in the futures and they're making twenty thousand dollars yes that's a housing expense that, so um, again it the rich get richer kind of thing and the yeah. idea where you know if you're lower you're getting less of this opportunity to save money and they're barely making any income on top of it so we're at roughly we're at roughly thirty two thousand dollars here um uh, now let's talk about uh the food because i i there's do you have that set aside are you able to tell us roughly that number um i if i don't have it on this credit card hmm. um but i give me a, give me an idea of a week idea of a week you would like to think that you spend maybe let's say 40 to 50 dollars a day yeah that that i would i would say 40 let's say 40 dollars a day times seven is 280 dollars right and you know I'm and round it up to 300 300 and, and 300 uh or excuse me 30 weeks on the on the the Perfect. road yes so that makes it a nice easy number of nine thousand dollars yes okay so at that point just for travel to and from as well as eating for 30 weeks on the year you are at roughly forty one thousand dollars so again if we're talking from vashik's numbers player rank 300 is seventy six thousand dollars and that's probably high end and forty one thousand dollars are your expenses bare minimum now you talk about coach and and I know you don't want to give away the numbers with with Carlos. Um, no, but I I mean the numbers are fairly similar throughout coaching and physios. I find that it goes from a number of you know one to three grand a week. You know most of them being mm-hmm. in the two two and a half column, um, and then of course expenses on top of that. So right. whatever you're doing, you're basically doubling or taking seventy five percent of that. And then you're adding a $2,000, you know, a week salary on top of that. Right. Okay. So that, that kind of gives everybody just this idea of, of what it is. And again, this is all money before taxes. Yes. Um, and obviously the coaching comes out of that as well. So $41,000 of expenses, the coaching expense that you in, entail there. You are going to be losing money if you're anywhere 200 plus. I mean, it is guaranteed you're going to be losing money. Yes. So the other interesting tweet I found was just talking about the the revenue streams and and where they're coming from in terms of how much money is being made uh, at a Grand Slam versus how much is being taken and put towards some of these players. And, and what's that been like for you to kind of look at in terms of numbers, not only at the tennis, but also in other sports? So I had no idea about the other sports, and that was incredible for me to find just how high, like the MLB doing five, 55% going back to the athletes. When I got my first wild cards to the main draw, I was able to go to one of those mandatory meetings they had, and that's where I really got these numbers of how much players are getting in, and they were really upfront and honest. And to hear the number like 7%, and this is almost an increase basically, is almost unfathomable and i understand that they're budgeting the best they can but i still feel like this number should at least be double digits am i right i mean it you have to think that we should be getting at least 10 12 percent and that would exponentially increase how much money you know somebody around 250 can get a year 
if they're getting into at least qualifying of these slams. The counterpoint to that would be why should money be going to somebody ranked, let's just say, 300 in the world um, when they're not at one of the Grand Slams um, and they're not necessarily providing the, the, let's just say, U.S. Open with any entertainment value whatsoever? That is I mean, an unbelievable counterpoint. And I, and I do feel, and this is always something I said and people will go against me, that without those people we kind of are broken down. The sport is broken down. And yes, the people at the top, the Fez, and everybody top 100, that is the main majority of the sport. That's who people watch. But without the people grinding at 300 to try to make it there, the young up-and-comers or the people that make it late in their careers, I feel like we lose out into a key foundation of what this sport is. And I think you have to subsequently pay for that in a way. How do we pay for that? Where I mean, where where is it actually going to come from? Especially if I'm if I'm somebody who's top ten in the world, why would I want to give up some of my money? I mean, I feel like we're debating socialism here, um, <laughs> but I why should if I've you know accomplished so much, I'm top ten in the world. Why should I be giving back money to somebody who's ranked three fifty and is really never going to match me on a tennis court? And again, and I've spoken about this before, and this is why I feel like we have to find ways to produce just more revenue in the sport itself so we don't even have to have the conversation of taking away from somebody. And I think looking at the percentages, I mean, the why the U.S. Open is so low is because they are funding so many different tournaments. They're funding so many different groups, and maybe the budgeting could be off, and I'm sure it is, and they've, they've had many discussions about this. But I think there's a baseline number of what they're looking for in order to run everything they need to run. And then once they get past that, the rest can go to the player. I don't know if that's making sense, if I'm making sense of that, where let's say the number is it's like $100,000. That's what they need. Right now, the sport itself is only making $150,000. So they can only give fifty grand back to the player. But once, you know, once they make let's say a million dollars, they can give the rest $900,000 back to the player because they only need the 100 grand. The reason why the percentages seem so low is just because the revenue that tennis is actually gaining is just not enough throughout all of the facets of the sport. It's only getting the money through the U.S. Opens of the, of the sport. Would you be interested as a player in just a... Um, I, and I know yet last week we talked about teams and that whole perspective. I'm going to take that just out of play for the moment. Um, would you be interested in a guaranteed minimum salary um, as somebody who's based on your, let's just say just I'm spitballing here, but based on your ranking from last year, you are in the 100 to 150 range end of year. Do you think it's something fair to say, okay, at that point, then your minimum salary is X, we're going to give you X, and then you have to do X to get anything past that financially? A hundred percent. And in my vision, I really think you can only gain it through um, a team competition, but put that aside. Yes, it would be great if it's based on ranking, let's say you have to play X number of tournaments, then you get bonus money for whatever you do. I think that's great because then we have issues where you have like a Mackenzie McDonald and I feel bad, I feel awful for him. You know, he's hurt right now. And then he's thinking, of course, he has his sponsors and stuff, but he's not making income. And where do we go from there? And then you force players. I mean, in his case, he can't, but you force players with a little bit less severe of an injury to play injured because they need the income. 
and definitely at lower ranking spots. And you have those true underlying issues of the sport. So yes, I think a salary is needed. Um, in my vision, it's through team competition. In others, it can be through you know what they did the prior year and based on the ranking. But it's a it's a necessity. It is a a necessity to have a sport with a salary because without that, you have no stability. I know you didn't agree with everything that Vashik was saying. I know you retweeted a lot of a lot of his stuff to kind of you know you guys seem to be on so many um, similar talking points. What things did you disagree with in his tweet storm over the last week? Yeah, again, um, you know the numbers seem to be a, a little higher low, but the main ideas for the most part, I definitely was on board. Um, I do think. What I feel is the main disagree, which I, which I went back to with you saying, is that I just think we have to look at it at a, at a bigger, bigger platform. The fact that tennis as a sport is not getting enough money. The Grand Slams are doing their part. <laughs> and I think there's ways to improve them. But the Grand Slams are making their money and they're making as much as they can. I think we have to look at it where these other facets of the sport, the challengers, the the thousands, the five hundreds, you know, you look at a two fifty and a five hundred, the stands are empty. You know, why is that the case? How can we make the sport more fan friendly so people so we're not getting, you know, the money from the USCA or the US Open. We're getting it from the people because they just love the sport of tennis and they're watching it more and they're out and they're getting their their kids into it. I think that's the main idea, and we have to look at it in a grander scheme of things not some of these smaller aspects like why isn't the u.s open paying us more what was the feedback you received on twitter and you've been much more active this week as you promised um but i i know you've gotten some it seemed like rather intelligent um and critical but i don't know i don't know what the reasoned criticism um of some of your arguments from last week's podcast yeah um first of all much more of a positive reaction than I expected, much more well-thought-out responses than I expected. So thank you to everybody that was a part of it, and I want to continue to do that. But yeah, I mean, you know, some of the criticism, because obviously I was pushing the team atmosphere, that was a tricky idea to get behind. But for the most part, they were really understanding that some of the ideas are antiquated. We need cheering. We need jerseys. We need a couple more team atmospheres. We need, you know, quicker matches. We need some more of that jam-packed action. And I think that would really gain that love for the sport again. That, you know, and some of the fans that were fans forever, you know, they were against it. And I understand that. But I think we can keep the beauty of the sport with also gaining a ton of new fans. And that's what the goal should be. Is new fans. The people that love the sport of tennis really won't go anywhere because there's nowhere else to get this love of the game. And we'll still have it. We'll still have that beauty. But we have to gain the next generation of tennis fans. Uh, one criticism I saw um, or, or thought was where where does new money come from? Do you have any thoughts on that? Again, and I keep going back to this, the new money comes from this new love of the sport. I mean, I've been around the college atmosphere. People absolutely love it. I think we can produce a team atmosphere, which I've actually worked on, and I think I sent it to you, which we have to go over another day. But an atmosphere where you have shorter events, they're not during the business hour, so people can actually attend them. People are cheering. People are all into it, and they're willing to pay for something like this. I can't keep going to 250s that are not only – they're around the world, not only in the U.S., where there are 20 people watching. There are 50 people watching. You see this. You see yourself, Mike. I mean there are – 
empty stands throughout these tournaments, even at slams on side on side courts, empty courts. I mean, we have to change that. And that comes with this excitement of, of combining this atmosphere of just fans really getting into it, not telling an eight-year-old to be quiet for three hours, saying, go cheer for... Noah Rubin over there, and then we get to buy his jersey after the match, and we can watch him tomorrow, and we can follow the New York Empire, you know, I'm using the World Team Tennis name, but we can follow that team, and we can really get behind it. I think there's a lot to be said for that, and, you know, I don't know. I think there's somewhere to go with that. So in that process, your the new revenue stream would be coming from um, increased ticket sales for events as well as you would think increased television money for um, non-slam events again yes i'm so sorry that i didn't go into the main topic it is the tv that that is getting the main stream of revenue for most of these sports and right and tennis is not tv friendly with how long matches are with how long tournaments are it is not tv friendly unless it's a tennis channel where it's dedicated to this it's not tv friendly tell them that you have a team competition with some you know you have a Federer and you have a no rubens you have a best guy and possibly an up-and-comer you have you know men's and women's you have doubles and singles it's going to be two-day event. it's going to be three hours a day or two and a half hours three hours a day for two days they can block off that time. They finally have two hours, you know, from 7 to 9 p.m. where you can block that off. And that's great. You know, a lot of these other tournaments, you know, they'll do it for some of the slams because they're slams. But they won't do it for other tournaments where they don't know how much time to block off. It's impossible. Right. And that's where the real stream is going to come is where you can really promote tennis. It is just a really tough sport to promote at this time with all the issues. But I think making it a more fan-friendly, quicker, action-packed environment where people are really getting into it and screaming and, and, have, and wearing jerseys and rooting and coaching, that's where you get it, where TVs are like, wow, I think we could really do something with this. One last thing before we're wrapping up, because we've talked about kind of this, the expenses you've gone through. Uh, mostly in 2018. Mm-hmm. One thing we didn't really talk about, uh, one of the things you put out in terms of uh, a tweet yourself, the highest paid athletes in the world, just a a, um, a bar graph. Yes. Um, and, and talking about so many of these other players, uh, the high percentage of their income comes from salary or winnings. And then you look at Roger Federer. He's on that list. He's the only tennis player on that list. He made $7, uh, $7 million in salary and winnings and then $86 million on endorsements what's that ratio for you so again it's tough um you know most of my income right now will be coming from prize money it's because you know i'm trying to promote myself as best as possible but at my ranking point um you know that's just not going to be a majority of it i mean most people don't want somebody who is from 110 to 300 in the world um so that's a problem you know when you're seeing that the number one player in the world that 90 percent of his you know grand earnings are from endorsement deals that that's a sad number that's like that's how do i supposed to live up to it that when one of the winningest tennis players of all time is making most of his money from endorsements yeah so that you know that's a really really tough way to go about it because you know when i'm thinking that i'm not going to get a lot of money from endorsement deals how am i going to get my money if it's not from men, if not from prize money, it's not from endorsements. Where's it coming from? That's the question. Uh, as we wrap up here, um, I, it's been interesting to see so many of the younger, I guess we call them challenger tennis players, react to. And I don't remember the guy's name. The guy who was saying that we need to do more environmentally. 
Um, yes. I know you saw those tweets um, <laughs> and how more tennis players should take a stand in, in terms of some of those bigger issues. And, and I guess the way I want to end this is what, what are the bigger issues for you off of the court? You're taking some of these massive um, structures, established structures in, in terms of how things are being played. You're taking those on by giving players a voice yourself. What are some of the off-court things you're most interested in in terms of bigger global picture? Yeah, I mean, I would use the word interested, but I would also be a intimidated and and terrified. I mean, talking to these people, there are some real struggles. And yes, they come from on-court and off-court issues from tennis, but I mean, there's depression, there's substance abuse. There are some true underlying issues that I'm really scared for just the people that are in the tennis world. And I'm learning, you know, through opening my eyes, everybody has these issues, but they are escalated in the world of tennis I'm seeing. And I'm trying to do my best to have people see and open their eyes that, you know, to break that stigma of mental health that, you know, let's let's get through this together. We're all on the same page and we're going to help each other get through this these tough times. And and I just want to have people speak about it and get through, you know, some of these really important, vital issues that they're dealing with. Well, you've got a, another week of training in Long Island. Uh, if if I saw right on social media, I believe the missus is with you this week as well. Yes, is that correct. Yes, very fortunate for that. I mean, that's a, that's a nice week. So, what what are the things you're going to be doing in Long Island uh, outside of the training? Oh, outside of the training, I got a barbecue plan. Which yes. I'm not a drinker, but I am an avid sangria maker. And what's the I'm point? I'm looking. I'm sorry. What's the point? What's the point? I like doing something well, and I have an OCD, and if I do it well, I just get this, you know, appeal from the other people saying, "Wow, that's great," and that's all I need. And I found out I, you know, I'm pretty good at making sangria, and I enjoy that. Something, you know, it's mostly fruit anyway. Enjoy the taste, but it's mostly for them. And God, the weather's been unbelievable. I have a barbecue out here, you know, maybe a concert or two. But uh, you know, it's always fun being in New York, and there's no place. You know, for me, like it. No, I don't know if you know this. Um, when it comes to liquor, if yes. You just, if you just put in some liquor, people are going to tell you it's great. Yes, but again, from my point of view, I don't like liquor or anything else around that, so I have to put fruit to mask all okay. of that. I'm just saying, there. If you if you put in enough liquor, they're going to tell you it's great, no matter if it's great or terrible. That's yeah. all I'm saying. It might again, be really awful. I didn't have. You know, I didn't have any college experience at all. I am not, you know, accustomed to any of this. So I'm doing it the way I know how and the way that I can actually manage to drink a cup or two. So I'm going to try. a ringing endorsement for Wake Forest University, that is. <laughs> actually, it is. It is. It, it is. You're professional. Focused. I was Tony, focused. Tony Bresky had you just completely locked in on the sport. I, locked I in. That. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, that does it for another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation and Noah Rubin, powered by Behind the Racket. And we will have more of these types of discussions coming up over the next several weeks and months. If you have any thoughts or comments, reach out to me, reach out to Noah. The easiest way is via Twitter or via Instagram. Um, Noah Rubin 33 on both. I've got mixed tags mike cation uh on instagram mike c tennis is where you can find me on twitter as well i have to work on changing that don't i yes definitely 100 yeah, yeah, i'll work on it I'll it's work okay on it. it's not your generation i'll help you <laughs> hey wait a minute <laughs> all right so more on the coffee cast with cation coming up with noah rubin next week